to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is where we'll be tonight and where we'll be studying the parable of the wise and foolish virgins in verses 1 through 13. Uh, this will be the last study in our study of parables. Uh, next week we're going to have a prayer service uh, followed by the next couple of months worth of sermons each Sunday night uh, we are each going to be doing. And so this will be the last roundtable format that we'll have uh, throughout the rest of this year uh, until the year 2022. So we hope that you've enjoyed uh, the parable uh, series that we've been doing. The, the last 11 weeks we've studied parables and uh, we hope that you've enjoyed that study as, as we have and as you've gotten as much out of it as we have as we've studied and as we've been talking to one another about these studies. The parables are truly one of the greatest things about God's Word. Uh, they're so easy for us to understand, so easy for us to learn from, and uh, we hope that you feel the same way. As we get started tonight, we want to make sure to do what we've done every week and take notice of the context. The context of our parable tonight, what is before it, what is happening in the life of Jesus, what perhaps is compelling Jesus to tell this parable, so that we can better understand its meaning to the original audience's life as well as ours tonight. So when we look at the context, I want to start off by looking at verses 36 through 44. We're going to read that and have a few thoughts about that before we get into our parable itself. Starting in verse 36. Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in one field, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allow his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so as we see this, this passage of Scripture leading into, obviously, our text tonight in chapter 25. It's very apparent, knowing if you have, have studied this parable we're going to be studying tonight, that we're going to be talking about the judgment day. We're going to be talking about the day of the Lord, the, the coming of Jesus, the second coming, the coming of the Son of Man. And so it's important for us to look at, at, at this context that Jesus leads into as he's trying uh, to get their thoughts on the second coming before he tells this parable. And so what I've noticed throughout this passage here is that he mentions these four different uh, people, these, these four different groups of people and how each of them relate to one another. He mentions the people at the day of Noah. He mentions uh, some men in a field. He mentions some women at the mill. And he, he mentions a master of a house. And so my question is, to us tonight, what, what can we learn from these examples, these four different groups of people? Uh, what can we learn 
from these groups of people when it comes to the judgment day, when it comes to the coming of the Son of Man? What can we learn from these people? Well, when I look at this passage, obviously it starts off in verse 36 with the, the fact that this is going to be an unknown day. The day of Christ's return is unknown. But then he goes into the, the four examples that, that Ben just mentioned. And for me, when I see all four of those, to me it's, it's saying the same thing in four different ways. It's using a historical account with Noah and then some practical um, scenarios with the, uh, the men in the field, the, woman at the, at the women at the mill, and the uh, homeowner all to convey the same idea that because this day is unknown, it's going to be unexpected. And, and so particularly if you look at the situation with uh, Noah's day, the, the illustration that's being um, given there is that the, the, the coming of Christ is going to be like the coming of the flood in the days of Noah. The, the people who are not on the ark are going about their daily routine, doing their normal thing, and then suddenly, here comes the floodwaters. Unexpected. They, they didn't see it coming. They didn't know that was going to happen. They should have, because Noah was warning, but they didn't see it coming. It was unexpected. And the same thing with the, uh, the example of the men in the field, the, the, the women at the mill, even the, the homeowner. You have this repetitive um, emphasis on the fact that somebody doesn't know the time that's of what's about, to, the what's about to happen when it's going to happen. And so it's an unexpected uh, event. Not unexpected in the sense of they didn't know it would happen. They were in, uh, that they didn't know it could happen, I should say, but they didn't know when it would happen. And that is a repetitive theme all throughout this last section of Matthew chapter 24, leading up to um, the parables that are part of uh, this long continuum of parables, including the parable of the, of the wise and foolish virgins. Okay, the fact that uh, time is unknown uh, yeah, is very significant, but I think there is something uh, maybe equally or more significant uh, uh, here that we have to be prepared because we don't know the time. So the, the, the fact that the time is unknown is not itself uh, you know, enough for me to know, but the thing that we have to know uh, on the basis of the fact that the time is unknown, we have to be prepared. So the parables are really, I think the, uh, what the parables are really talking about uh, or talking to us is that we have to be prepared because we don't know the time when, when he will come. Uh, here is one word I would like to uh, explain uh, in verse 44. Uh, you know, do not expect, uh, I mean, at an hour, you do not expect. The word expect uh, is a translation of the Greek word, which means, uh, which means um, to have an opinion based on appearance, appearance. So we may have some opinion about the time of Jesus coming, second coming, but it would not work like that. Jesus 
would not come at the time that we expect. So totally we don't know when Jesus would come. And you know, some people say that you know, nowadays is the time when you know, Jesus I mean, predicted that he would come, but no, we don't know. You know? So uh, the point is that, uh, I mean, the, probably the bigger point here, we, I mean, not bigger maybe, but one of the points that we should not miss in these parables is that we have to be prepared for the unknown time of Jesus' coming. You know, it's interesting to me that at the beginning of this chapter, they, his disciples, his followers have asked him uh, to describe to them maybe some of the signals, some of the signs that would be shown uh, for uh, his coming. And so Jesus explains uh, how all the different signs, all the different warnings that they would see at the destruction of this temple. Uh, he's talking about in uh, verse 1 of chapter 24 and verse 2 of chapter 24 and he explains that and a lot of people have confused the different warning signs that he gave for the destruction of the temple they've confused that to be the warning signs for the second coming and so it's interesting at the beginning of, of this passage in verse 36 he says but of that day no one knows and so he's trying to let us know that there is no extreme warning signals. There are no sign of the times. There are no uh, different hidden little uh, meanings that we need to be looking out. The fact is, he's coming. And that's all the warning we need to know. And the fact that he's coming at an hour that we do not expect. And so he gives these examples of these four different types of people. It's interesting to me, the, these, these, no one is left out here. Men will be caught off guard. Women will be caught off guard. Uh, the rich will be caught off guard. This master of the house he alludes to. And so just the same way this master of the house is not expecting this thief, so too will the people at that time not be expecting the coming of the Son of Man. They're equally unprepared. They're equally not ready. And so the two things he tells them to do, verse 42, is he says, watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know. And then in verse 44, the second thing he says, therefore you also be ready. And so that's how he leads into our text tonight, giving this truthful, factual, uh, no doubt about it passage that we've just read. And what he, I think, is going to do is explain it to them in a way that they can understand, the same way he's done with all these other parables we've studied. And so with that, is there any other general uh, comment on this text or on the context in general before we get into our parable tonight? Yeah, I want to elaborate on what you were saying about the start of the chapter in Matthew chapter 24 in the first few verses uh, because Ben was referencing the fact that a lot of people confuse what uh, uh, get confused about these signs and they start looking here at the end of chapter 24 and saying, oh, well, there's, there's evidence for the rapture. I want you to look back at Matthew chapter 24. I want you to look at the first three verses real quick um, because I, I want us to see how Jesus breaks this down um, to help us understand that this is not a reference to, the, to a rapture or anything like that. So Jesus left the temple, verse 1 of Matthew 24, and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here 
one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, if you look at verse 3, they ask two questions. Not one, two. The first question is, when will these things be? What are the these things? They're asking, when will these stones be removed? When will this temple be destroyed? When will this event occur? That's question number one. And guess what? From basically verse 4 down through verse 35, he's going to answer that question. And so you can sense that the first half of chapter 24 is dealing with the destruction of the temple. But the second question they ask that's evident in verse 3 is, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That conjunction and is introducing a second question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So he spends verse 4 through verse 35 giving them information about the destruction of the temple, telling them, in fact, some signs that will indicate when that will happen. Verse 36 introduces his answer to the second question. And you can know that he's introducing that second answer by one simple three-letter word, but. But concerning that day and hour, he begins. Now he's referencing the day and hour, as Ben said, of his second coming of when he will return, which is at the same time going to be the occasion on which the end of the age will occur. So his second coming and the end of the age are happening at the same time, but you're not going to have a sign. You're not going to have uh, an indicator for that, which is what Ben was talking about earlier. If you can understand that there's two questions being asked at the start of chapter 24, and you can notice when that but enters the scene so that you know the questions are being divided, it helps you understand this chapter and everything that Jesus will talk about thereafter in what is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse because from verse 3, or really verse 4 on, he's on the Mount of Olives teaching, and this parable falls in that continuum of teaching. So I think it's really important to know how chapter 24 breaks down as you enter into this teaching about the day on which he's going to return, and that's what this parable is focused on. Can I add something? Yep. Okay. I mean, uh, in line with what um, this brother said, okay, uh, human interpretation of the signs can be always wrong. Even though some may have some confidence about their interpretation of the time, of the time of the signs, but the fact is that it can be wrong, always. But there are the facts that, they, that cannot be wrong at all. The first fact is that Jesus is coming, and we don't know the time. So we have to be prepared. I mean, regardless of the knowledge of the signs and times, and regardless of the accuracy of the interpretation of the signs, it doesn't matter if we are prepared if we are remaining prepared, regardless of when Jesus is coming, we are ready to meet him. So that, that is the, uh, the, the most important point that we have to get, I believe. 
So before we get into the text, the last thing I want to make sure we all realize is this is one of the last teachings that Jesus is going to be able to tell a, a big, large group of his disciples, his followers, uh, one of the last discourses, one of the last series of lessons that he's going to be able to teach before he goes to the cross. And so it's very important that we understand that context. This, this is the, how important this was to Jesus that his followers understood this message. And that's why he tries to explain it to them in a way they understand with this parable starting in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Before we start looking at this text, I want to remind us what we're dealing with in verses 1 through 4 are these two different groups of people. Remember, like many of the different parables, he likens it unto the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he says, ten virgins, five who were wise, five who were foolish. The wise were the ones who got extra oil for their lamp. The foolish were the ones who did not. They got their lamp and they went along their way. And then notice what the text says in verse 5, the bridegroom delayed. And so here we have this problem, obviously, that these lamps are going to go out. And that's why they're known as the foolish and why others are known as the wise. But the question I have for us tonight is, what is the real difference in the wise and the foolish virgins? We know that they didn't uh, fill uh, their lamps with extra oil or bring extra oil, but what fundamentally is different in these two different groups of people? Okay. Um, I think uh, one word that can, I mean, may give us a, a, give us a, some you know, understanding of that uh, difference. Uh, here, um, word... You know, foolish means foolish, but wise, the word wise uh, in the original Greek uh, meant, uh, means that uh, thoughtful and having insight and understanding. So probably uh, the difference between these two uh, groups of uh, versions are, you know, one thought about what would happen, what could happen. So they prepared the oil, extra oil, in case the bridegroom uh, comes late. 
So that's, that was the uh, difference. And the, the, the foolish obviously didn't prepare any extra oil. They didn't think, they never thought that you know, the bridegroom could be late. You know, when, uh, when Ben sent us this um, uh, question, he, he specifically referenced the fact that they slept. And, I, and I, I didn't give that much thought until Ben sent the question to me. And it, it dawned on me, these two different groups are so very much alike. Now, we, we don't know a lot about first century wedding practices, but apparently these ten women had a role to play in the processional that took place as the bridegroom escorted his bride from the father's house back to his own house. And, of course, this was happening at night, and so these, these ten women have all been invited to be a part of the wedding processional in some fashion. They have a, a role to play that, that the average citizen of that town does not. But they, they've all been invited to play this role. They've all been inv invited to take part in this processional. They all brought their lamp. They all, they all brought that standard piece of equipment that they would need while out there at night. And after the bridegroom was delayed, they all fell asleep. And not one of them, wise or foolish, was criticized for falling asleep. Which is interesting, considering the point that Jesus made right before this parable is, watch. Which is totally the opposite of sleep. And yet they're not criticized for that. So all of these parameters are the same until you get to the situation in which they need extra oil. And so ultimately what makes them different, different Mingu made a, a great point on the, the idea of, of thoughtfulness, what makes them different is the effort they put in before they went to the wedding. What makes them different is, is how they uh, prepared, how they took care of things in advance. One group, one group is ready for whatever comes. The other group has some preconceived notions, some, some presumptuous activity about how things are going to go, and so they're not ready for any situation. I would love for this parable to be retold today because the way I would tell it is you have ten mothers with diaper bags and infants, and some mothers brought extra diapers, and some didn't. And, and so as a parent... When, when we leave the house, there's always, and Ben, you're going to love this part of life as it enters your, you, you, you this next month, that, that idea of did we, did we get everything we need for whatever might come? Do we have that extra outfit in there because there could be that blowout later? Do we have plenty of diapers to make it through the time frame we might be gone? Do we have plenty of food before, in between now and when we might return home? And, and you're having to think through all that and, and make sure that that diaper bag is completely equipped for whatever may happen. You see, these, the, the, the wise women in this parable, it's not just that they brought extra oil, but it's that they considered the possibility that this might be necessary, that, that, that they needed to be equipped for whatever scenario might present itself. The foolish ones assumed they knew what was going to happen, that the bridegroom would be on time, and so they wouldn't need extra oil. It's all about thinking in advance and taking care of the problem in advance because when that shout came out, 
that the bridegroom had arrived, and they went to trim their lamps or their torches, whatever instrument it was, some were ready for prolonged lamp burning. burning thank you. <laughs> and some weren't. And they waited to the last minute to try to resolve their dilemma. And that didn't work out for them. So it's all about how you're thinking in advance for the, for the possible issues that might arise. And, and so there's the same in so many ways, but this one simple activity on the front end, before the emergency arrived, that's what made the difference. The word that comes to my mind is the word prepared. They, they had prepared for this moment in a way that the foolish virgins had not. Uh, the, the wise virgins are called wise because they prepared for whenever the bridegroom might come. Uh, they, they were not counting on him being on time. They were not counting on him being there by the time their lamp would go out. They were counting on being prepared and taking care of what they could take care of, focusing on what they could control, regardless of, of whenever the bridegroom was going to come. They knew that as I sleep tonight, nothing is going to happen tonight to me that is going to take me by surprise. I'm going to be prepared. Uh, there's an old book, Sleeping When the Wind Blows. Some of you are nodding your head. That's what this, these, these, this group of wise virgins are able to They're able to sleep when the wind blows. When the wind blows, when, when something unexpected happens, they have prepared to the point that they don't have to worry about it. They have prepared to the point that they have taken care of everything that they can possibly control, and so they don't have to worry about any unexpected event. That's the difference in the wise and the foolish. The foolish said, hey, I'm pretty sure that this is going to make it. This amount is going to be enough. Surely, uh, surely it'll be all right. You know, if it's not... I'm going to have time to go get some more and, and, and fill it up, and everything will be all right. I'm, I'm needed at this wedding. I'm needed for this job. So surely the bridegroom will let me go get some real quick, and, and then we'll, we'll just finish on uh, with what we had planned to do. They were not ready for this midnight arrival. The foolish virgins were not prepared. And so that's the difference. And so, just like Kyle was saying in verse 5, we see that all of them were slumbering. It, all of them were sleeping. All of them uh, were, were not uh, watching and waiting and, and just looking with bated breath for this bridegroom. They were living their life, but the difference is some of them were prepared and some of them were unprepared. And so, it's just like... Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before, but have you ever prepared so much maybe for, maybe for a test at school or, or maybe for a presentation at work to the point that all these nights leading up to the big day, you didn't sleep well. You were studying late at night. You, you, you were burning the midnight oil, you know, so to speak, thinking about this parable. But then when that night before came, you had a unusual piece about you. This happened to me the other day. I was taking my graduate school comprehensive exams, and it's a pretty big deal. Uh, you got to pass these exams. You got to do well on these exams in order to get your master's degree. And 
there I was for the 10 days leading up to it, here at the building till 12, a little bit after 12 o'clock at night, trying to study, and I was stressed out a lot about this test. But funny enough, on the night before the test, I went home at 8 o'clock. I was completely ready. There was nothing left for me to study or to learn or to know or to memorize that I hadn't already gotten accomplished. And so I went to sleep that night way more comfortable than I had all those times before, even though the test was the next day. That's what being prepared means. When you are prepared, you can sleep. You can sleep soundly unlike those who are unprepared and those who are cramming at the last hour hoping that they can retain everything that they could possibly see uh, through osmosis, right? Surely if I just look at this book long enough, it's going to come to me. No, that's not how it works. You've got to prepare. And so that's the difference in these wise and foolish virgins. Some of them were prepared. Some of them were unprepared. But as we look at verse 6, we see at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And so the question is for us tonight, what does the timing of this bridegroom teach us about the judgment day? I think it teaches us the same thing that the uh, section we read in chapter 24 teaches us, that you don't know when, it's, when, you don't know when the judgment is coming. It's unexpected. It's unknown. Uh, because the bridegroom, it was not anticipated that he would arrive in the middle of the night. It was anticipated, it was expected that he would arrive much earlier. And we don't know the reason he's delayed. That's not specified. But the fact that his, his delay, he was delayed, and the fact that he came in the middle of the night, and the fact that all of the women involved in this story had fallen asleep, and we're startled awake at the cry of his arrival. It, it, it's all pointing to the fact that it's repeating what Matthew 24 and verse 36 tells us about no one knowing the day or the hour that, that he's going to return. So for me, it's repeating the same teaching that Jesus started back in 24 that was part of our context, that you just don't know when the day of judgment will be here. Uh, yeah, one other thing uh, regarding the time uh, of the bride, the bride's groom's coming, is that he came when the when all the virgins were sleeping. He came at the midnight. It was not the usual or normal time that the bridegroom bridegroom uh, has to come, but he came at the abnormal hour, which means that. You know, Jesus can come in a very abnormal hour that we would never expect at which the, uh, Jesus should come. And at that moment, probably Jesus may come. So this point, when bridegroom came late and, you know, uh, and he came at midnight, when all virgins were sleeping, teaches us that we have to be prepared at all times. There is no time that we can relax in terms of waiting for Jesus. There is no time that we can, you know, 
trust our uh, our what opinion that oh this may be not the time that Jesus would come, but Jesus can come any time, even at the most unexpected time he can come. So this also uh, teaches us that we have to be uh, prepared, and also we have to. We should not be naive. We should not think Jesus coming naively. That oh, not only about time, but also uh, our prepare, uh, preparedness. Uh, oh, because I am prepared this much, I'm okay. It's naive, you know. I'm prepared, so now it's okay when Jesus, if, if Jesus comes. But I have to come like Ben uh, did, what Ben did for, prepare, for the prepare, preparation of the uh, compre comprehensive test. You know, we have to examine ourselves if we are really, truly ready to meet him. So, so the other point of the timing of bride's groom's coming is that we have to, uh, we have to be uh, watchful of us. We have to always examining us if we are truly ready to meet him. And also, we should not be naive or complacent, thinking that we are ready. So it, it's, it's important for us to understand that the bridegroom here was delayed. He was delayed in coming to the wedding. And so some of the people took this delay one way and some of the people took it another. Some of them said, well, then that means I need to be prepared for whenever he does come. And some of them took it to mean, well, that means I can live on my own timetable. And some of them were wise and some of them were foolish in their thinking. And I want to talk about those who were foolish for a moment about what it means to live on your own timetable. We have people today who live on their own timetable when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to their faith, when it comes to their walk with Christ. Sometimes all of us live on our own timetable. We know that we need to get things fixed. We know that we need to get things right. But we live by the, I'll do that tomorrow mentality. I'll fix that problem that I have tomorrow. I'll deal with that sin that has entangled me. I'll deal with it tomorrow, but today I'm going to revel in it. I'm going to deal with that grudge I have with my brother or sister in Christ. I'll deal with it tomorrow, but today I'm going to say what i got to say. We live by this ideology that I can live by my own timeline. Because Jesus' coming has been delayed 2,000 years, we start to think to ourselves, well, surely i got a week or two before I really got to get this thing right. And that's not what we learn from this story. If that's us, we are the foolish ones in this story. And if we live by the I'll fix that tomorrow mentality, then we're doomed. And the door is going to be shut in our face the same way it was these foolish virgins. To me, that's what we learn from, from the timing of this bridegroom's coming. He has been delayed the same way he was delayed in this parable. But that doesn't change the fact that he's coming. 
That doesn't change the fact just because he's been delayed doesn't mean he isn't coming anymore. He is coming. And he's coming at an hour that we do not expect. And if we keep living by this, I'll fix that tomorrow. I'll fix that when all the stars align in my life and, and, and I'll start coming to church when I finally start making enough money to get by. I'll start giving to God when I finally start making enough money to give to God. When we start living by that attitude and that mindset, we've already missed the point. We're not ready for the bridegroom. We're not ready for the coming of the Son of Man. And that's what this parable's talking about. It's talking to us the same message it talked to them way back then. Beware because you do not know the time in which the Son of Man is coming. In fact, that is when He's going to come, when you do not expect it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about the coming of the day of the Lord. And it, 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 it relates to the coming of the day of the Lord. This is very on my mind lately. Like pains upon a pregnant woman. In verses 2 and 3 it says, For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as the thief of the night. For when they say peace and safety, and then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And so while the world is saying peace, Safety, don't worry about it. You've got time. You've got all the time in the world. You can fix this next week. You can fix this when this happens. When all these things align, that's when you can fix it. That's what the world wants us to believe. That's what Satan wants us to believe. And so we hear these lines like peace and safety. That's not that serious. It's just a little white lie. We start to believe these things and we start to live on our own timeline. And when we do that, we're just like these foolish virgins. Verse 10 is important. It says, While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Guys, what, what, what is the significance of this door being shut to those foolish virgins? Okay, the opportunity... We have plenty of opportunity. We, we think we have plenty of opportunity and uh, time to fix whatever we need to fix. Like Ben just said, you know, we have a kind of you know, tendency to think that you know, Jesus is not, is not coming tomorrow. Jesus is not coming next week. So we have plenty of time to do this, to fix the problems, to fix the uh, you know, things that we need to fix, but it's not true. You know, when the trumpet sounds, we don't have time. I mean, here, what is really scary to me is that if I am not one of the thoughtful versions, so I'm not prepared, even if I hear the sound of the trumpet, I will not have enough time to prepare myself to meet him. That time is already late. So opportunity seems to be here always, but it's not true. We may lose the time to prepare ourselves. So the wisest thing that we can do is to prepare ourselves right now 
Right now is the best time. This parable teaches us that right now is the best time for us to prepare ourselves to meet Jesus in the air. So yeah, the, the finality of the door being shut is, is the key here. And it makes me think of a statement Jesus made in Revelation to the church in Laodicea. And he said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, here's why that my mind connected with that verse. It has to do with what side of the door the Lord is on. In this parable, Jesus is, is being depicted as a bridegroom. And he's on the inside of the door. And he's closed the door, leaving the, the virgins on the outside. The foolish virgins, that is. In Revelation chapter 3, we're the ones, or the, excuse me, the church to whom he's writing has closed the door to him. The church is on the inside, he's on the outside. So there's still availability for, for access to Christ if they just open the door. But in terms of this parable, Jesus is on the inside and the foolish virgins are on the outside indicating that they've been excluded. You can see that, that finality in many of Jesus' parables. You think about the parable of uh, uh, the rich man and Lazarus when they reach their final destinations of Abraham's bosom and torment. It's final. Uh, the, the rich man will beg for a drop of water, will beg for someone to go back and speak to his brothers, but things are final. You think about the sheep and the goat parable that will come at the end of Matthew 25, where these sheep are separated from the goats, and, and they're not even sure how they ended up where they got, but it's, it's final. So you see this finality mentioned in several parables, and, and in this case, it has to do with what side of the door the Lord is on. And as Mingu's been communicating, right now, the Lord is, if, if you have not opened the door to him, that is still available. But there is a day coming when he's going to be on the inside of that door, and you won't have the availability to open it because you're on the outside. You know, what I, what I get from this when it comes to this door being shut is the idea that when God shuts a door, nobody can open it. It reminds me of what happened in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 16 when Noah and all the animals get up on the ark. God shut that door. And you imagine all those people trying to get on, seeing uh, this big boat that's surviving all of this water as they are drowning and they're trying to get up on into the ark to save their life. But God shut the door. And so when God shuts a door, there is no amount of pleading that will allow Him to open it. You see, when we're talking about our life and our salvation, I see God as having the door open all throughout our life. We're just not walking through it. And so when we look at this door being shut, this is a final thing. Uh, there's a finality to it. There is an a absoluteness to it. That no one can open this door, no matter how much pleading, no matter how much crying, no matter how penitent you become, no matter how much begging there is, you cannot open a door 
that God has shut. And that was the case for these virgins. Verse 11, they begged him, let us in. And the bridegroom said, I do not know you. So when we think about this door, when we think about our lives, like in Luke 16, that great gulf that was fixed between the rich man and Lazarus, if we don't walk through the door that's open for us all throughout our lives, then why should we expect for him to open it when he's, when he's decided to close it? You know, it's, it's incredibly fair for him not to open that door. We might look at that and say, that's not fair. How do you say it's not fair? It's his wedding. He can do what he wants to at his wedding when it comes to this parable. It's his kingdom. He can do what he wants to with his kingdom. In fact, he's such a good God. He's such a good bridegroom. He's such... A, a, a good king over this kingdom that he's given us an opportunity to go inside even though he don't deserve to go inside. And so to me, that's the significance and, and that's the importance of this door uh, being shut. And so as we close tonight, guys, I just wonder, what is the greatest takeaway that you have for this parable of the wise and foolish virgins uh, that we need to take into our life today? Okay. When I came to the United States, I loved the highway system. You know, the highway, American highways have ex, many exits to a town. You know, to Gainesville, a couple of exits, and to Beaufort, a couple of exits. And also, if we go, uh, if we miss a, you know, exit, we can go around and, you know, go out uh, through, I mean, go through another exit. But in Korea, you know, there is only one exit to a city. If you go to Korea, you have to be very careful not to miss the exit to the town in the highway. So having second chances is a great thing. It's a gracious thing. You know, God is giving us the second chances, like the several exits. If we, if we miss one, we have another one coming up. So we don't have to be so nervous. But it is not like that about Jesus coming. We don't have, we will not have second chance about that. That's why we have to be definitely prepared for the second coming. I really uh, focused in on the, the delay of the bridegroom because I thought about the fact that Matthew was writing his gospel some 30 years after Jesus' ascension. And um, he's writing to an audience that likely had expected Jesus to return by then. And he hadn't. So he was delayed. And I think, oh, we're, and we're reading, as, as Ben alluded to, we're, we're reading the, this, uh, these words of Jesus nearly 2,000 years after he spoke them. Nearly 2,000 years after he ascended to heaven with the angels saying he's going to come back the way he left. And he still hasn't returned. And it makes, you, it makes you wonder, you know, how much longer. And the problem that we have is probably not the same problem that they had when they first heard Jesus say this. The problem we have is a thing called complacency. And we get very, very complacent because he hasn't come back yet. And we get very complacent with the assumption that he's probably not going to come back in our lifetime. And, and we don't live in that readiness for it. 
And this parable is always a reminder to me to not live complacently because I never know or I, I will never know when Jesus might return. So I need to live in the constant state of readiness. Ultimately, most of the parables are, uh, I don't want to say lighthearted, because they are uh, drawing an importance that Jesus is trying to put across. But sometimes we, we have these illustrations that are a lot less, that just smacked me in the face, than what we read tonight. Tonight could possibly be, the, the, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins could possibly be the saddest parable in all the teachings of, of Jesus' parables. Uh, it has to be up there at least with, with some of these other ones. But there's two ways to look at this parable, and I want to make sure that we look at it both ways before we leave tonight. We can look at it as that man in the field that was left while the other one went up, or as that woman who was left in the mill as the other one went up. We can look at it as uh, the five virgins who were foolish and couldn't get in. Or we can look at it the other way and say, yes, this is the saddest parable, but it's also the most exciting. And I want us to think about it like that for a second because even though there were those who did not go up in that field, there were some who did. Even though there were some who did not go up in that mill with the women, there were some who did. Even though that there were five foolish virgins who did not get to go into the wedding, there were five who did. And so tonight as we think about our life, we think about our soul, yes, this is one of the saddest parables ever told, but it's also one of the most exciting. The difference is how you've lived your life. The difference is which person you are tonight. The difference is if you are prepared or if you are unprepared. You see, if you're prepared tonight, if you're prepared for the coming of the Son of Man, if, if, if you have been watching, if, if you have been preparing, if you are, have readied yourself for that time, then what an exciting parable this is. What a, great, what, 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 what a great day it will be when we get to go to heaven and when our time is up. And we get to join the Lord and dwell with Him forever, Revelation says. To dwell with God and be with God forever. What a great day that will be. What an exciting day that will be. But with how much excitement there is for those who are faithful, there is that much disappointment and sadness for those who are not. And so tonight, the question is obviously, where are you when it comes to these examples? What type of person are you tonight? Are you living on your own timetable tonight? Are you living with the idea that I can fix this when it's comfortable or when it's time for me to fix it? Or are you tonight wanting to get your heart right with God? We don't hold a formal invitation where we lead a song on Sunday nights during this roundtable for, format, but the invitation still is there for you. 
There are elders here, shepherds who would love to talk to you and to pray with you and, and, and to comfort you and to, and to study the scriptures with you. There are ministers here that would love to help you get right and be ready for the coming of the Son of Man. The choice is always yours. Right now that door is swung wide open. The door has not been shut. We can all enter into the kingdom. We can all enter into the, 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 this wedding that we've talked about tonight freely. But there is coming a day, and it might be even tonight, that that door will be shut. And it will be too late. And I pray that myself and all of us here tonight will be ready to be prepared like those wise virgins we study tonight. Thank you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our dear most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've blessed us with to worship you, to study uh, portions of your word. We pray that we'll take these lessons into our hearts, into our lives, and apply them and, and truly live our lives by them and uh, be ready to face the world when it comes to persecution like we talked about this morning, but also live in a way that is ready uh, for your coming whenever that might be. We pray that uh, we will be watchful, that we will be ready, uh, that we will be prepared for that day. I pray for anyone here tonight who has not obeyed the gospel through baptism into your son. We pray that they'll do so. We pray that they'll humble themselves and submit themselves to the gospel, the good news of your son, and do that this hour. I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that has forgotten to live on your timetable. They've been living to themselves and fixing things when it's their idea and when it's their time and when it's on their schedule. Lord, I pray that you'll prick their hearts, help them to realize we don't have a time schedule. You are the one that holds time in your hand. And we pray that we'll dedicate our life to your will. Thank you most of all for Jesus who gives us the opportunity to walk through that wide open door. Gives us the opportunity for salvation and to be with you in heaven forever one day. It's in his name we pray.